This is On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. Episode 6, LGATs, with guests and... I began the planning for On Belief, a podcast about cults back in March, and it wasn't too shortly after that I received a legal letter from a group that was very concerned about a post that I made in the cult education forums looking for sources um, to talk about the experiences that some people may have had at a large group awareness training session. This specific group is an offshoot of a group that was very popular in the 70s. This group is very litigious. Uh, they have a history of going after people who express any sort of dissent and they have successfully scrubbed numerous unflattering media portrayals of them from the web, including a 60 Minutes episode and a Barbara Walters interview and even a one-hour French news investigative report. I was accused by this group of committing defamation per se, which is particularly interesting to me since the interviews that I had been conducting were largely off the record at that point, And the ones that had been recorded were sitting in a drawer and hadn't been edited and hadn't been reviewed yet. So to call anything a defamatory podcast at that stage of the game seemed ludicrous. Interestingly enough, the five lawyers that I had reviewed the document um, agreed with me. And they also made notice that the 12 pages of branding information that was included at the end and the weird language employed by the letter itself and the length of the letter itself meant that this was one of the weirdest (laughs) cease and desist letters that they had ever personally read. This episode was originally supposed to be about one group, but as people began to come forward, it became clearer and clearer to me that expanding this episode to include the category under which that particular group uh, is defined the category being large group awareness training, was a more important story. And now I could talk about that perhaps being so litigious that you would go after somebody two months before anything is ever edited might be an indication that where there's smoke, there's fire. So it's important to note that in this particular episode, it's not about one group. There are three interviews out of dozens that were conducted. All of these accounts have been verified in some way, and each account of the three is in reference to a particular group that is different from the other groups in this particular episode. LGATs are a category, they are a methodology, they are a way of extracting money from people, and it is important to tell the story of LGATs because they are on the rise. You probably know somebody, you're probably Facebook friends with somebody right now who has participated in an LGAT. There will be a list of LGATs provided on the Patreon. uh, And if you go through that list, you can maybe see if somebody that you know has participated in one, or maybe you've gone to an initial session and you had no idea that what you participated in was an LGAT. I think it's important in this day and age to discuss not only religious-based cults, but any group that uses coercive mind control uh, and thought reform 
whether that is a running club, whether that is a yoga studio, whether that is a business seminar that you are forced to attend because of your work, it is important to note where this kind of thought reform and these kinds of coercive groups are operating. So that is the focus of this episode. It's large group awareness training, which I'll define for you later. It's based on discredited psychological counseling and therapies that have been outdated since the 70s. It is destructive towards people, their families, their partners, and in some cases they even separate families or they even uh, will remove people from everything else that they enjoy in their life. So how are we doing this episode in a way that we won't get sued for it? Well, there's never any guarantee that you won't be sued, but I have made it exceedingly difficult for any group to proceed with legal filings after listening to this episode. All of the sources have been anonymized and the names of the groups that they participated in have been bleeped out. It may be possible for you, if you are very good with puzzles, to put the tiny crumbs together and figure out who these groups are. So good luck to you, I suppose, and good luck to any interns who work for Uh, the law firms of particularly litigious groups. An important side note is that this group that has threatened legal action has also been responsible for the removal of two sentences from the Nexium episode in which Brock Wilbur name-checked a group that is no longer in operation, but that had been featured on a major television show on a major network. The important bit is This legal threat came in just enough time that I was able to completely review the way that I was producing the episode and that it enabled me to bring you this episode in this redacted format that still gets across the events as they happened, but does not specifically name check any one group. But it's important to know all of these groups operate in this same way because it doesn't work if they don't operate this way. It shares a lot of DNA with multi-level marketing. It is a giant machine that churns up people and their lives for the sake of harvesting as much money as possible and then spits them out and doesn't think about them again. You can judge for yourself. I present On Belief Episode 6, Large Group Awareness Training. So what is Large Group Awareness Training? Well, it bills itself as sort of therapy for people who think that therapy is for their tastes. It is based on a 1970s group called which was started by a man named and it was a unique form of therapy for the me generation because it was all about how you don't have to take on anybody else's shit. You only have to be responsible for yourself and you only have to uh, worry about your reactions to the environment around you. LGATs almost exclusively center around something called attack therapy, which is when you have to go in front of a group of people or in front of a facilitator or in front of a smaller group of people in a group therapy type of environment and express to these people a particularly upsetting or sad time in your life, often these stories involve traumatic events, including rapes, robberies, 
um, you know, assaults, uh, molestations, and you have to talk about this experience in front of people you don't know and in a public environment, and then you'll be quizzed by the facilitator on the means by which you brought that event into your life. The secret behind LGATs is that it is very victim-blaming and that it is at odds with almost all therapeutic recommendations from just about every psychological, social work, psychiatric body <laughs> that oversees therapeutic techniques. Part of the reason that these groups are so litigious and that they're so secretive about their technology is because if you have a methodology that you believe works and that you believe is repeatable often this is when you would make it public how your how effective your treatment is well because we know that this treatment is not very effective that necessitates the secrecy from these groups it is as they would say in the circus business the oldest trick in the book these groups are not limited to attack therapy there's often other team building exercises there's often other exploration exercises there is often meditation you'll hear from three different people today about various exercises that they participated in but the thread is the same you are in a high intensity environment you are basically locked in a room for 12 plus hours during a day you have very strict rules that you have to follow and at the end of your session you are immediately asked to sign up for the next course it is a machine of recruitment it would appear that the sole purpose of a lot of these groups is to make money I was sent documents by some sources that outlined some labor violations by one of these groups because while they charge thousands and thousands of dollars for their courses, they rely heavily on a volunteer workforce to carry out their facilitations and their seminars. That's how they can afford good lawyers. So how would you ever know if you were being recruited for an LGAT? Well, some people have no choice. Some people have told me that they were given the training as part of a management training program at their work. As a matter of fact, there are two notable corporations. One is and the other one is that have actively worked in LGAT training into their management training courses, and it is mandatory. But for other people, it's usually your friend asks you to come to a graduation for a course that they did, or they ask you to come away for a weekend where you're going to explore your possibilities. It's really a lot of this kind of language. See if the testimonies of any of my guests today ring true, and you'll know whether you were recruited for an LGAT. My first guest is who was very involved in Welcome, and thank you for sharing your story. Can you tell me how you became involved in your group? Well, I had never heard of it in 2009. Um, and I got, a, uh, I got a phone call one day. It was from my mother. And she seemed like a little bit emotional. And she was talking about how she thought that maybe she hadn't been a very good mother and um, wanted, to, uh, wanted to express that to me. And, and I'm, I was... At the time, I, I just had I had no idea what was going on. I was like, "You're a fine mom, like whatever you're going through, like don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> it's all good." And then, uh, and so I yeah, I didn't really get it. But she said that she was in this program, and 
I was very, very skeptical. Uh, my mom has a, um, she seemed like she, she's always kind of been in this like self-help stuff and um, uh, multi-level marketing kind of things. Like she's, she seemed like she, she has a, a certain susceptibility there. So I was like very, very skeptical. She, she went on to convince my sister to do the program and then both of them together convinced me to do it. And they told me that do me a lot of good. And so and she paid for it. My mother paid for it. So, so I did the program. And that was the, uh, the first, the first program that I did. What was going on in your life at the time? Uh, I mean, I was, I was, it, it, I wouldn't say I like was in like a very stable situation, but I like never, ever was, um, at that time of my life. I think I had, I had just moved. Uh, I, I was trying to like, to, to actually like start a career as an artist. I had met a girl, I was falling in love. That's sort of where I was at. I, I've always been a, a, a seeker of a sort too, but not not in that way. I mean, I'm, I travel a lot, like looking for meaning in life and, you know, things like that. But I, I wasn't looking for it in anything that looked like a self-help program to me. Can you describe the seminar that you went to? Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's two days, it's pretty long days. Um, I think 10, maybe 11 hours, you know, something like that each day. I mean, a lot of what it was, was, was talking about, it was, it was people revealing very personal experiences. What what does is it focuses on repairing your relationships with people that are close to you. They, they start with the assumption that every single person in that room has some mess with somebody close to them that they have either some resentment they've been holding some some grudge some impasse that they've that they've some some a blockage in, in their relationships that they haven't addressed by the end of the course you are supposed to call that person on the phone and straighten that out there's a and there's also a lot of exercises there's some kind of like guided meditation stuff there's there's a lot of like uh, kind of role playing stuff where you might share something with the person next to you. They'll they'll pretend they're the person that you've got a problem with, and and you all like, and then they give you feedback on on how you know you kind of practice working through these issues. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff. My initial impression was that I didn't like the place or anyone that was there, uh, but I was also a very I don't know I I was kind of a difficult person at that more difficult than I am now. And, and by the end of it, I, I, I certainly felt like much, much closer with the people that were there like that, that I found to be like a really powerful and beneficial part of the experience was all of these people sort of opening up in ways that you almost never, ever do in like in regular day to day life. So was there anything in the coursework that you found weird or creepy? Some of the exercises they they would do, like I remember one of the guided meditations, they would have you focus on, I think it was something like your your greatest fear or like your most traumatic experience or something. It would have you like sit there and put yourself in that place and like and sort of and face that in your own mind. That I, I that was something that assuming if they, if they were employing any sort of tactics of emotional manipulation. That was sort of the closest thing that I could describe to that because it it puts you in a very, very vulnerable place. I mean, people all over the room, you could hear sobbing, like deep, deep sobbing all over the room as like people are 
facing their their greatest fears. Was that your first time doing any kind of work like that, like meditation or even therapy? I've done I've done a little bit of therapy when I was a teenager, and then um, I studied a fair amount of uh, meditation, just sort of on my own. Did a lot of yoga, like that kind of stuff. Like I'm still like kind of trying to figure out like what exactly is and what it does. I mean, one thing that they talk a lot about, they like to refer to it as the technology, like, like it's that it is a, it is a linguistic technology that allows you to access potential that you, that you don't have access to normally. And some of that stuff, and they, and they sort of, they reveal it in pieces, you know, like one part of the day, they'll sort of focus on this, this one aspect. And, and some of that stuff I found genuinely beneficial. They might have a, something called a um, which would be, that's, it's like a, a situation where maybe you've got like a persistent complaint in your life and that thing's not changing and you're not changing and it's never going to change. And they, they sort of break it down. What are the parts of it? What, what would it take to resolve it? They've, they've created a language around these, uh, sort of persistent human conditions and, and try to give you the power to change them, which I thought that was handy. Some people describe these courses as being a high-pressure environment because you're locked in a room, essentially, for 12 or more hours a day. Can you tell me about your experiences? Did you find it punitive in that way? It was austere. It's not comfortable. I mean, I'm not a person that, like, it's not as bad as a lot of jobs that I've worked. In terms of, you know, like, breaks and meals... These groups often participate in something called attack therapy, where a person is meant to tell a story in front of a facilitator and the larger group. Is that something that you witnessed? Yes. They are all about like getting getting down to the, the nitty gritty of the ugly things that you were doing in your life. Minimizing the people around you or shutting down communication, like, yeah, or, or, or if you're being... Uh, stingy or withholding or you know they 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 really make a point to uh to sort of sh shine the mirror in your face and make it very clear to you and quickly yeah what what it is that um the ways that you're screwing up your own life and it's it's not gentle it's not gentle oh there's there's some tears for sure um i i, I certainly saw people cry i may have cried a time or two myself but yeah, there's there's some tears coming out of the after having the experience. There's um, there's a kind of euphoria that happens. What it's really trying to get through to people is that you're not your history, you're not your thoughts, you're not your feelings. You're something more than that, and you can take responsibility for all of those things and be a, like a fully actualized person. Like you're you're not at the mercy of your circumstances. You can you can actually take responsibility for every aspect of your life and like make it something better. Um, it worked on me. Like I came out of I had a a period of invincibility. I, I sort of I felt like um, there's a euphoria that that comes out of whatever whatever is going on in there. They like it that that works on some level. Combined with that, there is a kind of like emotional rawness which which leads me to think that like maybe they have good insights but there's gotta maybe there's a better way to go about it that um 
that's gentler. I don't know. I was a very sensitive person. So like maybe, maybe that's really good for some people and it's not for others. This also kind of relates to that euphoria that, that, that happens by the end of the program. So they, they take very good advantage of that and have you like, while you're still feeling high and off, off whatever, then they have you enroll in the next program while you're sitting there. For more on this episode, including the rest of the interview, bonus episodes, and bonus material, including production notes, head over to patreon.com forward slash K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R. You can find Unbelief on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And you can visit the website at onbelief.com.